St. Luke's people are tough because here you are. There are, um, there's plenty of people that didn't make it today that are, are snowed in. And um, actually the musicians for mass today, about, oh, let's say 10 minutes before mass, when we found out that Shonda, our musician, was snowed in and everything, they said, well, we can do music, so they've thrown it together. So you can tell them they did a good job at the end of Mass. If they still deserve it by then, we'll see. <laughs> and we have a baptism today for, uh, for Kristen and Mike Zosik's son, David. So here's what we want to talk about. We are not just spirits in jelly suits. We are body and soul. We are human beings. And so our bodies matter. We heard in the second reading, the body is for the Lord. And then it goes, it went through and, and described all of these ways that our bodies are so significant. It's our bodies that become members of Christ. Not just our spirits, but our bodies also. It's our bodies that are temples of the Holy Spirit. If you look for a holy place where God dwells, yes, there are churches, which are these temples of God where he dwells, these holy places. But we, because the Holy Spirit dwells in us, makes us his temple, we also end up being a holy place where God dwells. The body will be raised and we will live in our bodies forever in the resurrection. We don't just leave our bodies and then, and then become sort of spirits always. After the resurrection, we'll, we'll still be human beings. We'll live in our bodies forever. And most significantly, God in the incarnation, God has taken on a human body. And after Jesus' death and resurrection, he continues to have a human body. Jesus is God and man with hands and feet forever. God has taken on a human body. So you can see some of the significance of having a body. So it's the new year, it's ordinary time, and I want to just go back to basics for a little bit and talk about Holy Communion. Why would we talk about Holy Communion when we're talking about the body? Well, for two main reasons. The first one is because our bodies affect our hearts. What is material about us affects what is not material about us. So here's just an example of that. Um, sometimes people, there, there have been a few people who have said to me, Father Rob, you look so prayerful at Mass. And I never know what to say to that. If you come up with a good response, you can let me know. Up till now, I just blush and run away. <laughs> but um, I, I am glad that they say that because I do try to be prayerful even when I'm not prayerful. Because there are plenty of times when to be present and attentive and engaged at Mass is difficult in my heart. And so what I do, because the body affects the heart, is I try with my body to be present and prayerful, to direct my heart to be present and prayerful. So, you know, this happens all the time. This is why we pray in different postures, why sometimes we stand or kneel or, or sit. Because we're trying to move our hearts. So that's the first reason, because the body reason, because the body affects the heart. But the second one is because a body speaks a language to others and to God. If you want to see an example of this, then I don't know if you've ever done this. Maybe it's just that my family's weird, but you can sit around a table and just go around and have each person keep a straight face and laugh. And it is one of the most disturbing things you will ever see. So you don't have to do it right now, and I'm not going to show you, because it's, it's just, there's this weird discordance because your voice says something about your interior and your face says a different thing because the body is supposed to see, speak a language. So when, what our bodies say, when, it, when our bodies say something different than what our voices or what our hearts say, it's like this weird, what is going on here? So you can try it later on, on your way home. I meant to ask actually in the beginning, you can, uh, 
Are any of you clenching your fists? You're not driving anymore. You can, you can relax. You're here. Your white knuckles can, can go away. Another example of how the body speaks a language is, would just be a, a common experience that we've all had because we've, we've gone to Mass so many times. You know that there can be, like in the priest, in his, in his demeanor, maybe he says all the right things and he sings well and he preaches well and all of those things, but his body says, when will this be over? Or I'm tired or I want to be done with this or whatever. And it makes a difference to us because whether he knows it or not, his body is saying something. It's speaking a language to us. But our bodies speak a language to God too. And this is a great, great gift actually because there's plenty of times when we go to prayer and our minds and our hearts are all over the place and we can't focus and we can't, you know, like stir up anything prayerful in us. We don't have to be disturbed in those times because when our minds and and hearts aren't in a prayerful place, we can pray we can speak a language. We can tell God that we love him just with our bodies. Our minds might be all over the place, but simply to, to remain in God's presence, to come and sit with him in church, or to kneel, or to, or to make the sign of the cross in, in, a, in a prayerful way. All of these ways, because we can control our bodies most of the time more easily than we can control our minds and hearts. This is a great thing, that we can love God and pray and speak to him, not always even with our mouths and our hearts, but even with our bodies. So at Mass, and especially in Holy Communion, God comes to us through our bodies. He enters our hearts spiritually by entering our bodies in the Blessed Sacrament in Holy Communion. Because of this, because the Lord is present here in a way that we can touch and see and taste, there are all kinds of material things that surround this to express our faith and our love in God. So, I've never, this is less of a charismatic homily and more of a catechetical homily, and I don't think I've given one like this before, so you can tell me afterward whether, whether this worked or whether this was a terrible idea. But I want to walk you through just some of the things that happen at the altar, around the Blessed Sacrament, that express our love and care for the Lord in a material way, ways that we love him with our, with our bodies. Now, all of these things that I'm going to tell you, and there are 12 of them, all of these have great spiritual and symbolic meaning, and we're not going to talk about any of it, okay? So there's like great depths to go there, and we're not going to mention it. So I want you to know that there's, that there's this other level. We're only going to talk about it from an extremely practical perspective, okay? So number one is the corporal. The corporal is this square of linen that is folded, and it's sitting on top of the chalice right now. When everything's brought over to the altar, the priest unfolds it and lays it on the altar. And you might say, that's really nice. It's a way of dignifying it to have this cloth. But we already have a cloth. There's an altar cloth there. So what's this, what's this corporal for? The corporal, again, great spiritual and symbolic meaning. But practically, the corporal is to catch any crumbs or droplets of the Blessed Sacrament that might break off or might spill. Because of this, the corporal isn't just bunched up in the end, it isn't rolled, it isn't like turned over or anything. It's carefully folded in a way that makes an envelope so that whatever is on it remains in it and safe and isn't lost. Okay, that's the corporal. Number two is the pall. This is this square also of linen and it's made rigid by cardboard or plastic in the middle and it sits on top of the chalice. This is the thing that the priest has always taken on and off. Plenty of significance spiritually and symbolically, but practically, is to keep bugs and dust out of the chalice. Because though it becomes the blood of Jesus, it still smells like wine and flies like the smell of wine. Most of the time, 
this is one of those things, it's funny, where uh, some, sometimes priests don't use them. Sometimes when they see, when people see that I use it, they say, I thought we don't do that anymore. Like, what is this? Well, the truth is that it was never, it was never removed, just like some other things we're going to talk about. It was just kind of forgotten. And then, one day, a priest said, I don't like picking flies out of the chalice, or I don't like swallowing the gnats that land in there. Is there a solution to this? And somebody said, yeah, for the last several hundred years, there was this thing called a pall, and we put it on top of the chalice. Mostly it's important for churches that are open, that don't have air conditioning and stuff. But even here, I will tell you in St. Luke, there are sometimes a little battle that you wage where you open it up and then you quick fight the fly and get it back on. And I have swallowed probably, even with the Paul, seven bugs in my very short priesthood so far. So that's the Paul. Okay, number three is the purificator. And this is the, this is the strip of linen that hangs over the chalice and down the sides. So this is a little bit like a napkin, but it's for purifying and cleaning. It's to collect all the, any droplets of the precious blood, all the water that we use to purify, anything that might have particles of the blessed sacrament in it so that they're all collected and on one, one cloth. And we'll talk about how those are cleaned in a little bit. Number four is the chalice and the patent. The chalice is the cup and the patent is some sort of plate. They're supposed to be made of precious materials, but whatever they're made of, they should be gold on the top. So you can't see it. On this chalice, it's, it's silver on the outside, but on the inside of the, of the cup, it is gold. And that is because there is no greater dignity for an inanimate object than a chalice and a patent because these two hold the body and the blood of their creator. Because of that, where they hold the, the blessed sacrament, they're, they're, they're made, they're coated in gold. There is only one creature in all the universe that has a greater dignity than the chalice and the patent, and that is you, because you don't just bear the Lord, but you get to receive him. Number five is the way that the priest washes his hands. Priests are supposed to wash their hands before mass, and there's a prayer that accompanies it. And then the priest washes his hands once the altar is set before coming up to the consecration. So you notice actually if there's incense, then the washing of hands is always after the incense, because sometimes your hands get dirty. This is like a very practical thing. Before you use these mortal hands to touch the body and blood of God, they better be clean. And so the priest washes his hands before. Number six is the communion patent. So this is another metallic plate, and this is with a, with a handle that the servers hold during communion. This, again, was something, people come here and they say, whoa, you guys use those? I haven't seen those in 50 years or something. Again, never taken away. It's still in the books. People kind of forgot about it. And then somebody thought, hey, could we put in some sort of safety measure? Because it is a really terrible thing when the Blessed Sacrament, when a host falls to the ground. Is there any sort of help for this? And somebody said, yes, it was invented hundreds of years ago. And that's why we use it. Now, here at St. Luke, just to, just to increase the, the attention of the servers, to help them know the significance of what they do, because sometimes it can feel perfunctory. It's kind of like, Kind of like security. If you don't have it, that's when you need it. If you do have it, then nobody's going to rob you and you don't need security. So the patent is like, for most of the time, it feels like, is this really necessary? The server goes back and forth between your hands and the, and the ciborium. But it is necessary. And so the servers here, if they catch a host that would have fallen to the ground, I pay them $50. Yes, and that is a, like an incredible deal because it's worth a lot more than that to keep the Lord from falling to the ground. So I've been here a year and a half and I have paid $100 to servers 
And like I said, it is worth so much more than that. They aren't just to catch any host that falls, but also any particle that might fall or break off as the host is being brought from the minister to the person receiving. And so these patents also are carefully um, cleaned at the end to collect any particles. And you'd be surprised, actually. You can't see them where you are, but every Mass, no matter how big or small or how long communion is, there are always little particles on these, on these patents. Okay, number seven is when, when someone doesn't receive the Blessed Sacrament, if they come forward, and I don't think it's really out of malice, mostly it's just because they don't know, but sometimes people will come forward and they, they don't know what they have received. So they receive the host and they start walking away and they kind of look around like, what did everybody else do? Then I, or a server, or an usher, or somebody, we're watching, and we'll go and talk to that person and say, okay, what you have received, do you have to consume this, or do you have to give it back to me? And it's like, it's a touchy thing, because you don't want to embarrass somebody in that moment, or make everybody look at them. But it's worth the danger of embarrassment to keep safe what is most precious to us, you know? There's just a connected story to this. The Bishop of Grand Rapids, one, one time there was a fire at the cathedral, Cathedral of St. Andrew, downtown Grand Rapids. This was like 100 years ago. Big fire. In fact, there are still, if you look up in the rafters, you can't see it because of the roof, but if you go up there, there are still um, beams that are burned up there. There's this big fire. The fire department was there. Priests and staff and people were there. The bishop rushed over, and he only asked one thing. He said, is the Blessed Sacrament safe? And one of the priests there said, yes. When the fire started, we went to the tabernacle, we took the Blessed Sacrament, and it's in another chapel in a different place right now. And the bishop said, good. Everything else can burn, but the Blessed Sacrament is safe. We really believe this stuff, you know? And so, yes, if somebody walks away with the Blessed Sacrament, we will gently, kindly, but firmly say, you must receive it or you must give it back because this isn't, this isn't just bread anymore. Okay, number eight is the way that we treat our fingers, actually. The, the parts of our body that will touch the Blessed Sacrament. You, you might notice that the priest, we're supposed to keep them together if we've touched the Blessed Sacrament because there are often little particles, little pieces that get stuck on your fingers. And so very often you might see me do this over the chalice. This isn't like some sort of nervous tick or magic or something, but it's to dislodge whatever crumbs might be there. And then once you've done that, then your fingers are free. But the extraordinary ministers, too, after they've distributed communion, they keep their, finger, their thumb and, and finger together uh, because I mean, very often you can just feel it, that there are little crumbs on your fingers. That leads us to number nine, which is the ablution cup. You can't see it very well, but it's just behind the bowl on the credence table. And this is just a little crystal cup with water in it. And this is for after somebody has distributed communion, touched the Blessed Sacrament, take their fingers and they rinse them in the cup and then they wipe them on a piece of linen there, and their fingers are purified, and they are free. Okay, number 10 is purification, the way that we treat these vessels after communion. You, you've seen this before, and some people just ask, and so I'm glad to tell you today, why does it take so long after communion? What are you doing up there? But we take everything, the patens, the saboria, the chalice, everything that has contained the Blessed Sacrament, and we carefully collect any crumbs, any particles, from all of these things, we take the paten and we scrape the purificator because sometimes when the priest breaks the host, a piece will fly off and it'll be laying on the linen. So you scrape it up and you put that in the chalice. The, the corporal, this piece of cloth that we started with, is then carefully folded again into an envelope so that whatever is missed, whatever is in there, is collected together. 
The priest will wash his hands. Usually when the server pours water, stick your fingers over and they rinse your fingers into the chalice and then everything is wiped with the purificator again to get any, any uh, particles, any, any uh, droplets, anything like that. So that's like the end of Mass, but there are two more things actually, 11 and 12. Are you still with me? Are you following? Number 11 is this special sink in the sacristy that's called a sacrarium that every church has or is supposed to have. And the sacrarium doesn't go into the sewer like most sinks. It goes directly into the ground. So this is the way that we deal with holy things. So even though the chalice and the paten and all these things have been carefully purified at the altar when they are brought into the sacristy to be cleaned, to be rinsed and washed, the sacristan does that over the sacrarium so that any, anything that was missed, any possibility, doesn't go into the sewer. Because if we're dealing with the body and blood of Jesus here, it will go directly into the ground. And then the last thing is the way that we treat these linens after Mass. They're all gathered together, of course, but they don't just go right into the, into the laundry machine. They're put into water where they'll soak for an hour or two to let whatever droplets or particles that are in them dissolve into the water. That water is then poured into the ground again, and then the linens can be laundered and washed normally. So, in rapid succession, those are, those are 12 ways, very quickly, and maybe you never knew, maybe you never noticed, at Mass, that we, in a material way, with our bodies, show care and love and faith in the Lord's presence with us in the Blessed Sacrament. Is it overkill? No. Does God care? Yes. I hope this helps you understand, too, why it kills me when, after all of this, when you distribute Holy Communion to someone and they're careless with what they have received. You know? The body is for the Lord and the Lord is for the body. This is this great gift that at Mass and in the sacraments and with each other, what we have with the Lord is not just a purely spiritual sort of thing, but with our bodies, we know him and love him and serve him.